It's a winter evening. Winter? Yeah, just for a change. Nice. And I was well and truly out of ASIO by now. In fact, really? this is probably only about five or six years ago. I mean, I feel like we're really in. Well, well, that's a good question, but <laughs> I was. But yes, my acting career was in full swing. I'm having a wonderful time. Everything's great. And I was trying to turn I Spied, which was a stage show, into a TV series. Of and we had a lot of interest and stuff like that. And then my writing partner got in contact with me and said, there's this, somebody has created a book about people talking about their ASIO files and mm. they're doing a talk about it. So it's like, cool, let's go and check it out. We go down to this thing. It's like a little community hall in Chippendale. And we go in there and I'm wearing a blue blazer and a scarf and I'm looking quite dapper, I thought. And, and everyone my... else is wearing tinfoil hats. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Tinfoil beanies. And I, within moments, suddenly realised I am sitting in the wrong room right now. You're in the thick of it. I'm in the thick of it. And the weird thing was everybody started looking at me. Could it be because of the bad fashion? It might have been the scarf. Uh, I didn't have a bum bag. Be relaxed. Oh, my gosh. But the whole thing was, at one point, when people started talking, I said to my writing partner, mate, if if I try to get up and say something, you're going to grab me. Within 30 seconds, he's got a hold of me and holding me in my chair. Because everyone is looking at me like I'm the guy from ASIO. Because you were. Well, not anymore, but that whole thing, that the stink of ASIO never really leaves you. I suddenly realised, my God... This is what it must be like for people that think they're being watched by ASIO. Suddenly you're being watched. Suddenly I'm the one being watched. So I wanted to talk more about this today. So to do that, we're bringing in the editor of Dirty Secrets, our ASIO files, and the lady who was the reason I was in that room on the night, Meredith Bergman. I love a guest. They're the best guests. You're listening to I Spied, the streaker on the rugby pitch of the Australian intelligence. It's all in the ball handling. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson and I'm joined by David Callan. I mean, what is it that you do? Uh, You don't know yet. I'm a raconteur. No, you're not. I'm an improviser. No. I'm an actor. Nope. Yes, I am. I do all of this for a living. Do you? Yeah, I got paid today. I feel like you just hang out here all the time. Well, I do a lot of that. But the thing is, that's because I can get my work done really quickly because I'm extremely talented. Anyway, um, (laughs) we are joined by Meredith Bergman, who I'm very, very excited. I love it when we have a guest, someone who actually knows what they're talking about. And can talk more than I can. think that anyone can do that. Anyway, Meredith Bergman is the editor of Dirty Secrets, our ASIO file. So who better to break down ASIO and, you know, a file? Break it down from the outside. What is it like to be looked at by ASIO? Then Meredith Bergman, welcome. Thank you, Michelle. So how is it that you became involved in wanting to know everything about ASIO and files? Well, I was an activist in the 60s and 70s. Well, I've been an activist all my life, but... In the 60s and 70s, I was radicalised by the Vietnam War issue and then, of course, there was the anti-apartheid stuff and the women's movement and then the green bands. And so we knew that ASIO was interested in those activities and we had our own mythology about what ASIO was doing in that time. First, I want to start off, when the New South Wales special branch was being closed down by Bob Carr in 1996-97... I actually applied for my special branch file. Now, special branch is basically acts as the New South Wales branch of ASIO. They tend to do the um, 
the actual spying. They're the ones that wander around following you and reporting on where your car is and things like that. Whereas ASIO really is much more about, I always say they're poking and prying and reporting rather than doing the actual spying on you. So in 1997, I got my special branch file and that was an absolute eye-opener to me. Well, everything. Uh, they had <laughs> followed me every day from the middle of 1968. Wow! And they had reported on me almost every day. It was oh like gosh. it was like having a diary that you know. And I'd always been really naughty and hadn't kept a diary, <laughs> but they'd done it for me, and it was in such detail. Everything that we had told each other, you know, like you know, our phones are being tapped, we're being followed by ASIO. It was all true. Mm-hmm. And uh, we even had one particular joke, which was that whenever we had a big demonstration outside the town hall that the ASIO bloke was up on the third floor of Woolworths taking the photographs. And Mm. guess what? He was. Yeah, Woolworths would have been the building. (laughs) So I wrote an article about my, uh, I think I I called it the secret life of B7726 or whatever my number was. Sounds about right for a a code name to it. Yes. And a publisher approached me and said, would you be interested in looking at other people's files and getting them to write about their own files and putting it together. So I agreed to do that. And I discovered the most amazing stuff. Not only was my file extraordinary, but the files of some of the other people that we looked at were also extraordinary. And do you want to hear some of the really... Yeah. First off, though, I do have to ask personally, what does it feel like to read something that has the most intimate details of your life and you had no idea that this was going on? Strangely, uh, the stuff they wrote about me didn't seem to worry me very much. The stuff they wrote about some of the people Mm. that I had inadvertently got into trouble by having their names in my address book, I really worried about because some of it was very intrusive. What happened was once when I was arrested in Canberra, they flew me down to Sydney to Silverwater Jail because they didn't have a women's jail in, in the ACT. And they got hold of my address book and they went right through my address book. And like in those days, they didn't have photocopying. So they just typed mm. it all out again. Can't copy. And beside each uh, name in my address book, they put the appropriate ASIO file number. So I could immediately tell which of my friends had ASIO files and who didn't. They put it and, in your book? No, no. Oh, this, on the list. This, is, this is what I found when I looked at my oh, file. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That this was there. I thought that would be uh, a huge mistake to put yes. their ASIO file numbers in <laughs> so you can yeah. refer to them later. And what I discovered then was that two of my friends, they had been absolutely obsessive about. One was a totally apolitical family friend who was in the Navy and he happened to be in the cryptology section down at Cutterbull. And they not only went right off their brains about this guy, obviously believing that he was sending spy messages to Russia or something, and they took him out of cryptology and sent him off to Papua New Guinea. It probably ruined his his career because Mm. he was no longer trusted. Just because he was your friend? Just because his name was in my book. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And the second person was someone who obviously had a, uh, public, a federal public service job. I hardly knew this guy. I was secretary of SUDS, the dramatic group, and he was the president. So I had his name in there for, you know, I'd ring him once a year or something. And uh, they went right through. And uh, he, they had, they were checked with his neighbours and they did all these. And I felt awful 
for those two guys. And what was the end game? Like surely there must have been some kind of ending to all of this, right? So they've done all this research on you and people that you yeah. know and what what kind of conclusion did it come to? With ASIO? Yeah. Oh, well, they were obviously hopeless because in order to... <laughs> no, I'll take that. No, no. I was going to say, I mean, I'm looking over here. <laughs> Seriously, if you look at my file alone, they were unable to work out that, you know, it was me in a red wig and bad clothes that sort of managed to run onto the cricket ground in 1971 and oh. stop, stop the spring box. I mean, they were following me. <laughs> they were following me and they still couldn't stop me doing that. Right. And, and they were doing things like would report that my car was outside my house at 5.45am in the morning. Well, you know, where else was it going to be? It was all busy, make work sort of stuff. They were in continually writing down It sounds like number. a government job. Yes. And the interesting <laughs> thing is, and David McKnight, who's written a lot about ASIO, mm. makes this mm. point. He says, you, you've got to remember they were public servants. Yes. That the actual ASIO agents themselves... When you read their reports, it's they're quite polite and they say things, perhaps this can now be filed and sent to A Division or mm. whatever, whereas the reports from the their informants were, were quite different because they were, you know, the amateurs who'd just decided they'd inform on all their friends. And Well, and that, that comes down to a very simple thing is when you work in the building, you have to follow a style guide. Yes. You literally have to it's follow a, a way of reporting. Right. Whereas your informants, Absolutely. they don't. Your, right. your agents as opposed to your intelligence officers. And as I say, you can – and they've obviously been told, don't make remarks, only describe people's appearances. And because they often didn't have photos of people, they would try to really describe – they'd say his eyes are close together and his nose is a bit crooked and he has a <laughs> small mouth, you know, horrible stuff. Well, there's lots of racial profiling, I would imagine. They, oh, yeah. They, yeah. they were very anxious about the uh, Aboriginal movement. Yeah. Oh, in fact, my favourite – the one time that you read an agent's report and he sort of veers from the guidelines, he goes, Gary Foley is in the Black Power movement and is a pest. <laughs> I so, reported that to Gary. <laughs> so you you had found a file basically on you following all your movements. Is that when you realised that all your friends had also been part of that? Yes. Well, when I um, – and my file was huge. It was like, – Well, if you're being reported on every day, it's going to be big. Yeah, but it did, was, you, did, multiple you, did you have a moment where you go, I didn't think I was that important? Um, I, or are you really a spy? <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> well, it, this comes down to – what did ASIO think they were doing in the 60s and 70s? Yep. Right. And, and they were told to root out subversion. They had no real idea what subversion Version was. was. Mm -hmm. yeah. So most of them interpreted it as anything that was against the Liberal National Party government or Liberal Country Party right. government. Anything that was against the government was subversion because they'd never really been talk to about what they were really about. And, and you, so it's very Orwellian, and, well, kind and, of like 1984. And it was because they hadn't been given proper guidelines. Yep. The, the two HOPE Royal Commissions mm. come out with what I think is a much better description, which is they're looking for politically motivated violence. Mm. And um, The heads of security. 
That's yeah. right. Espionage, sabotage, politically motivated violence, promotion of communal violence, attacks on the defence system and acts of foreign interference. That's what ASIO look at now. Back then, subversion... Could have been anything. Find anything you yeah. want, you find, think yes. is subversive, that's enough. But, but subversion to them was Methodist ministers signing a letter against the war in Vietnam. Well, come on, or, everyone knows that that's terrible. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but they really had no idea what they were looking for and they were... I don't think they were very well educated because they had no idea that they couldn't really say that I was in the Socialist League and then show a photograph of me holding an anarchist and miscellaneous sign at the May Day march. They had right. they didn't know enough about what was going on in the left to be at all helpful about. So they kind of were in basically had created all these files and done all this level of work to no real end. Yes, because they also didn't make a distinction between the left and the right. What I found extraordinary was that there'd always be a list of who was at a demonstration. And Mm -hmm. once more, it's this busy work stuff that they're doing. But And I'd look down the list and I'd go, oh, I know all these people. Oh, I don't know those people. And it turned out they were the Nazis. But they were actually included in the same list. So they never made that distinction. Now, allow me to throw a couple of little things in that are going to help frame why this was going on at the time. One, Menzies, the Menzies and Liberal government had been running the country for what? How long was he Uh, in for? The the Libs were in for 23 years. For 23 years, one party. Now, the... The they're turning pet- into China at this point. Oh, let's go right back to the petrol. They're like affair. they're like wanting to like solidify yeah. their power. But if you go back to 1953 or 54 when the Petrov affair happened, mm. which I'd like to talk about, that literally shattered the labor movement in Australia yeah. and it took a long time for it to recover. Now, the guy who was running ASIO when the Petrovs were defected mm. was a guy by the name of Colonel Spry, Colonel Charles Spry. Now, he was Brigadier Charles Spry when I first heard of him, and he'd only just left ASIO then. He was still running the organisation from the 50s right through into the 70s. Now, that sets up a precedent. This becomes a personal fiefdom that's also working for a government that's got this tool that it can use to constantly disenfranchise the left. Right. So become, I know you think I'm a bit of a lefty, but I think Meredith would argue that point with you. She's, she's, way, she's way left. She's, <laughs> she's a bit more left than I am. But the whole thing is... ASIO was being used, and it happens a lot with conservative um, governments, and Mm. it's not just Australia, it's around the world. They use it as their personal secret police, and you don't want that. So what an interesting time to kind of be around in. Russia was still kind of a bit of a threat. Communism was a massive threat. People were afraid of the kind of that that fear of communism and China and Russia and all of this stuff. So people weren't really trusting Either side. And the main destabilisation was, of course, the Vietnam War. Right. Because we were drafting 18-year-old men to go and fight and die in a war, which Mm. almost everyone disagreed with. They thought it was crazy. And also the thing with the Vietnam War, which is kind of what really turned people against war, was that it was was one of the most kind of televised. They had – journalists had incredible access. It was photographed. People suddenly saw the ugly side of war and that's when – the media kind of changed the way, the perception of war and whether we should be fighting or not. Very much. You, you were going home every night and watching on yep. the television and it was the first time the media had ever showed dead bodies. Yes. They'd never done that before yep. and so it was it was very confronting for, for people. Now, the flip of that is the, the government's learnt from the Vietnam War as well. It says when we get to the Gulf War, the next really big conflict, yep. 
coverage is so sanitised. They were embedding journalists. Yes, which is... But those journalists would only show what we yeah. want you to show. And that's why embedded journalists kind of happened because they learnt their lessons from the Vietnam War. Yeah. It kind of... Vietnam War kind of made everyone of all persuasions jump against their governments and say, we don't want to be involved in this. Now, step back to the Vietnam War and what was going on with Charles Spry, yeah. ASIO, Special Branch, politically well, active students and you know just the general population... The interesting thing is suddenly there seems to be an appearance of a lack of control. Yes. Right. That would – and what I'm learning, listening to what we're talking about here and how I felt that day in the room with you, yeah. that the weird thing about that is the paranoia exists on both sides. You know, the people that are being watched are terrified, are worried about being watched, but the people that are watching you are terrified as well. So it's that weird dichotomy where everyone's sharing the same experience from different sides of the fence. And it's also a moment in time when governments weren't used to being called into question. Mm. They were used to just telling you what to do, live your life the way that we seem fit. If we've been voted in, this is how we dictate it. So you've got your file and I want to get back to how did we then get to your book? So you've, you've got your file and what did you decide to do with it? Did you... Did you read this and go, holy shit? I was <laughs> astonished by my file, first mm. of all, by the detail. Yeah. Second, secondly, strangely, by the accuracy. As I say, they often mention things and I'd go, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. And then I'd go and look something up and re- realise I had done it. Really? I had a yeah. latte? I yeah. never have latte. Oh, <laughs> that day. That's yes. right. Yeah, it was yeah. very weird. And I knew a lot of my friends had ASIO files because after we'd applied for our special branch files... I encourage other people to go off and apply for their ASIO. Strangely, their ASIO files weren't as interesting as their special branch right. files because they were much more about you'd applied for a visa or a right. passport or you'd gone to East Germany or Does something. Does special like branch that. still exist? Nope. No, because no. Uh, Bob, Bob Carr was so appalled yeah. by it that he abolished it, and a good thing too. Mm. So then I thought, well, look, what I should do is not just ask my friends to write about their ASIO mm. files. I should find out, find some interesting people who you wouldn't imagine would have ASIO files. And once I started that process, it was really interesting the way you suddenly discovered, well, you know, Peter Cundall does have an ASIO file, which is very funny because part of it consists of photocopies of his newsletter that he put out in Tasmania called Apple Juice. (laughs) And it was about when to pot your petunias or what to do with your cuttings. After you've pruned your plants, (laughs) remember to seize control of production. (laughs) And that's your blooming lot. Yeah. Peter Cundall and David Stratton, and he was very interesting because he said to me, he said, I've no idea why I've got a file. I think I was a Liberal voter at the time. But when we looked into his file, it was because he wore a red tie and red handkerchief no. to Poland's National Day. Oh, oh my gosh. And my God. They were they were pretty upset by that. <laughs> Communist. And um, I was at the National Day. I give it three out of five stars. Yes. <laughs> and, and so David was an interesting one. Now Penny Lockwood was an interesting one because she was the daughter of Rupert Lockwood, and you could imagine why she'd have a file. So who's Rupert Lockwood? Just Rupert right? Lockwood was a, a famous Communist Party journalist right. who had done a number of really interesting things. But Penny discovered that the bloke that she'd be had been having a serious relationship with for a year turned out to be the ASIO agent. No. And he... he when Were she, they in love? I'm confused Well, she, was, she thought he was going to propose to her and instead he just said, look, I'm an ASIO agent, I can't do this anymore. Oh, no. And we think, that is a really shit way to be dumped. <laughs> yes. And, I and, thought I was bad, but yeah. that's really bad. But we think 
We think he left ASIO. We haven't been able to... We think that not only did he leave the relationship, he left ASIO, so it had obviously been... So was you know, he not really that into? I don't, like. There's so many questions around that. First yeah. off, I mean, what kind of person can? Well, fake what he would that? have done is he would have turned around to ASIO and said, "Look, I want to start seeing other intelligence organisations." I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. Yeah. And my sister's ASIO file was brilliant. She wouldn't. First of all, she wouldn't open the she parcel. She didn't want to know. She'd applied for it, but yeah. wouldn't open the parcel. And I found this very common, because. And Perthoys, I don't think, has still read hers. Really? Why? It's because you don't want to know who the informants are. Who the people oh, are. Yeah. right. And, and, In case there's um, someone close to you. Well, one of my very dear friends found that his best man at his wedding had been informing on him. Oh, so wow. it's, and he he wouldn't he wouldn't be in the book this guy because right. he just said I just can't. But anyway, Verity's file. She eventually opens it and she was very relieved to just because she was a trot. She was in yeah. um, the International Socialists, and she was very relieved to discover that yes, there was a spy in the Sydney IS group, mm. but that was okay. But there'd been no spy in the a- the ACT. IS group, which yeah. were her friends. So she was very relieved about that. But why I insisted she be in the book was because I wanted to put the photographs or a couple of the photographs from her photograph file, mm-hmm. which were all of her standing on a beach in a bikini. There were 10 photographs of no. her in a bikini in the... Someone just had the hots for her. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's just a new level of stalking. No threat, but gosh, I've got to get back to the beach. <laughs> and another, another uh, one of the characters in the book is Alan Hardy, who is was actually a producer for um, Neighbours for many years, but... His, well, that's a reason for a file right yeah, there. I know, God knows what they're exporting along with that show. His, his claim to fame, uh, why ASIO was interested in him, was that he was the son of Frank Hardy, the communist novelist who wrote mm. the very famous work Power Without Glory. They described him as uh, thin and serious, living with another man in King's Cross and is very interested in theatrics. And we both decided <laughs> that was their code for gay. we think he's gay. <laughs> yep, that, uh, you're not very inaccurate with that call, yes. that call there at all. That's hilarious. A lot of them I knew would have files because yep. I'd, I'd done my master's on the, the, the sort of the Evert period and the Communist Party and I'd done my PhD actually on the mm. 70s Communist Party yep. because it was about the Green Bands. So I knew a lot about the Communist Party. I knew a lot about who they would have thought of as, as problems. And I just kept asking around and the interesting thing was that we discovered that you know, as I say, Lex Watson, you know, mm. well-known, because I was very interested in whether they were worried about the homosexual liberation people, but they weren't particularly interested in that. They were interested in whether some of the other characters that they were following, whether they might be homosexual, but they weren't interested in the gay, mm. lib, gay lib movement yeah, at that, all. That, that would play into the yes. idea of being able to compromise you yes. because of your sexuality if you're hiding yes. it. Right. So go back to okay. the compromise episode for more information on yes. that. Yeah, that makes sense. And, yep. and then I just, by a process of thinking, oh, I wonder if so-and-so's got a file, and you can find out pretty easily. Um, so how, if I wanted to find out if I had a file, how would I go about it? You write that? to the National Archives and ask them. Right. You give them your uh, name and where and when you think you might have been under surveillance and they write back and tell you and then you can order it and pay for it. And Wow. And originally when I got my file, which was quite a long time How ago... How did you suspect you were under surveillance? When was that? 
Was well, there a I, moment? I, was there a distinct moment that you thought, oh, someone's watching oh, me? Oh, I knew the special branch was following me because okay. they used to... They used to. <laughs> they were right behind me. <laughs> they'd, no, they'd stand beside... I had, there was this guy that wore brown terraline trousers and followed me everywhere. <laughs> and you got quite they sort were of... obvious about it. Yeah. And then you'd think, well, probably there's someone else too because he's the sort of... You uh, thought my bum bag was bad? Yeah. Oh brown <laughs> terraline <laughs> trousers. <laughs> there you go. And I used to say things to them. I still remember during the early anti-apartheid, protests against the, I think it was the women basketballers and then the surf lifesavers and things before the Springboks arrived. I remember there were 20 of us at the airport and the special branch guy was having a go at me because it was a pretty pathetic demonstration. And I said, when the Springboks come, there will be 500 people out at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And of course, there were 20,000 at Mm. the Sydney Cricket Ground Mm. on the first day of the Springbok. So I still remember that moment when I boasted to him that we would have 500. So we we were in conversation with these guys. You saw them all the time. Yeah, interesting. So how would you, how do you suspect that ASIO is is working and operating now? I mean, I feel like these are completely different times. Look, I keep telling people I am not a a specialist on ASIO. Not, Not a current day specialist. No, and they now have a huge budget. A huge building. If you, if you, it, it's about four or five city blocks. Uh, right. the, the, just a lovely little fact about the building that I like is when Kevin Rudd opened it, they couldn't use it for two years because they discovered that the Chinese had hacked the plans. Oh yeah. Uh, but on top of that, the windows kept falling out. Yes. That to me is the best. It's yeah. like you're sitting there typing away, and this your window would fall away. But it is totally huge, isn't yeah, it's it? Yeah, it's It's, it's unbelievably big. So, and they've got this huge budget, and I hope that they are recruiting better educated and better, uh, just a better quality agent. I mean, I'm looking and, at David right now and I'm hoping and, as well. I reckon I was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> We've got to stop getting idiots yeah, yeah. in. Now, admittedly, I joined as a clerical officer. Yeah. So I was I was the bottom of the rung, right? Yeah, I was yeah. at the very bottom of the ladder and I worked my way up through it. Generalists, so they're the guys that either analyse the material or gather it. They're field officers and case officers mm. and um, desk officers. Those guys... If you don't have two degrees, forget it. Just yeah. forget it. Yeah. And, and most of them have got, you know, it'll be a combination of law, criminology, social welfare. You know, you name it. Is If you've got a good degree uh, and you don't want dumb people doing this job. No. And but one of the things that Hope said in, I think it was the second Royal Commission, mm. was he said, I hope ASIO gets better at filing. Now, what he meant by that was they are collecting all this stuff it's what I call their metadata yeah. at the yeah. time. They were collecting number plates and names yeah. and places and they were never properly doing any analysis that I could see. So he says, I hope they get better at filing. The second thing that happens is that the Office of National Assessment gets set up and I'm sure it was set up as a product of the Hope Royal Commission saying, ASIO doesn't know what to do with this information. They're collecting all this information and they really don't know what to do with it. I came in after the Hope Royal Commission, both of them, the the two of them. And the interesting thing was as well, one, you don't have generational directors general, right? You you change them out regularly. Mm. Um, That way you also get cultural movement. You, You get cultural differentiation. The filing, oh, my God. 
that was like the amount of paper we created every day. You could shut down the building by throwing a bulldog clip into the shredder, right? Yeah. That would it, as soon as you've got too much paper to shred, everything's got to stop, right? So the whole thing is we generated a lot of paper, but we got really good at putting it where it needed to be, destroying it if it was a copy because you put copies on multiple files, but then you get rid of the copies and keep the originals. But ultimately, what happened that really was I think most important was. Again, it was the idea of getting educated people in that could quickly go through that intelligence. And then with the ONA, that literally became a clearinghouse where they could look at ASIO, DIO, ACES, look at them all and go, right, what's what's the big picture that we're looking at here? Yeah, there was no big picture. Yeah. At the period that I was looking at. And because of right. the... Everyone was kind of operating in silos. Yeah, right. because of the 25-year rule or 20... I was really looking at... Special branch up to 97 and ASIO less than that. Mm. Uh, and so, oh, and one of the things I did discover when I saw my special branch file is they were following me when I was an elected MP. There I was, an elected MP for a uh, mainstream political party, mm. and they were following me round Parliament House that's, reporting on me. That's which is, really naughty. They you report, don't do that. Well, they did it quite a lot. They they reported mm. on a press conference that I was involved with about uh, a new left-wing newspaper. But again, why were they doing it? I guess there was no clear directive, was there? That's a good uh, way of putting it. Uh, well, I think the directive would be... You know, if you see the Labor Party as the enemy, you're a twisted bunch. But they did. And they taped uh, Jim Cairns's the phone. They, they tapped his phone when he was leader of the opposition. Yeah. And this was a guy who'd been Deputy Prime Minister of Australia and they tapped, tapped his phone. Essentially, when you're a Tory hammer... Everything red looks like right. a nail. So we're talking about a time when, you know, there was a lot of mistrust amongst the political parties, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, we've got that threat of communism and the Vietnam War. And you would think nowadays a lot of that has kind of been a bit dispersed. Now ASIO is there to kind of serve a purpose and it doesn't matter what political party. But we do have questions still, I think, about oh, yeah. at what purpose does ASIO fulfil and for whom? Like, is it at the Liberal Party's hand that they're they're doing certain things? There is Do we have these questions now? The, the, mm-hmm. the, there is meant to be a parliamentary committee which yes. has oversight, and there's meant to be a, a what is, what's that position called? The Director General. Oh, the IGES, yeah. Inspector General of Intelligence yes. Security. Yeah, lovely and, man. And, and but but for many years that was vacant. Yeah, a, and so they've not really put in. Pl- and you know, my view about most parliamentary committees is the parliamentarians on them are too busy doing other stuff yes. to be properly... Mainly fundraising. Well, no, no, I'll actually stand up for... Most politicians are pretty busy doing... Yeah, you know, yeah, I've just been facetious. Yeah, you were being mean. So, yeah, so I like that. I, I guess my question is, ASIO's watching us, but who's watching, watching ASIO? Them. Well, that's the point. Yeah. And I don't think there's been a proper oversight mechanism... Um, and it's still there still isn't? Well, well you've got how IGES. do you know? How do you've you got know? IGES yeah, and yeah. IGES basically works as, essentially as an ombudsman. If you've got yeah. a problem with the way the intelligence service is treating you, you go to the IGES. Right. Yes, right. but how do you know? <laughs> well, if you suspect that something's going on, go to the IGES. Look, but, so, but so you don't suspect. I mean, if you look at what happens, look at Susie Wolfe, who doesn't discover until there's a, a documentary 30 years later that she was refused all those jobs at the ABC because there was an adverse finding against her husband. Oh, my God. And, and, she, and she cries. She cries on television because she realises for the first time that she was 
being refused those jobs because of ASIO and not because she was a worthless individual, which is what she'd thought about yeah. herself at the right. time. Which, you know, some of that stuff's really frightening. And as I say, the stuff at the periphery for me was what had happened to those two friends of mine who may have had their careers absolutely right. destroyed by ASIO. Just and they would never known, know. Yeah. They would never know. They wouldn't yeah. know. Which is why having an ombudsman sort of person's pointless. But it's, it's kind they of tough, know. isn't it? Because like... On, one, on the one hand, you kind of want this transparency and on the other hand, it couldn't really fully do its job. The very if, nature if of the organisation makes that, that transparency yeah. impossible. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's a really tough situation. you just kind of got to hope that they've got it under control, that mm. they're not – that they know what – what they're doing and that they're doing it for the right reasons. It all comes down to the people that are in there, particularly the management of that organ, the executive within there, that they are doing the job that they are meant to do, not the job they feel they want to do. And and what I feel are there's there's a couple of really important questions. The first is when does dissent become subversion? Mm-hmm. And the second one is what do you do with someone's file when you decide uh, there's a wonderful piece in the file on Anne Summers. I mean, Anne Summers had a file. Anne Summers. Yes. (laughs) And they say on hers, capacity for violence, nil, right? (laughs) Anne was shocked. What? She scares me. She does. (laughs) They also said she was fashionably but not well-dressed. And Anne was was horrified by that one. I'd be (laughs) mortified. I'd be going to the IGES for that straight away. Excuse me, how dare you? She was. She was. But they say, you know, capacity for violence nil. Well, really, they should just close the file and move yeah. on. But Absolutely. they followed her for another 20 years. What? Yes, yeah. yes. And this is how... So then what happens to all this information? I guess, like, my, my big question now, you've got all these files, where do they sit? Right, they go into an archive section where we'll go through that file and we'll get rid of everything that's a copy. The right. only thing that stays on that file are the original documents. But does the files get kept? Why would they not get shredded? Why would you not go, there is literally nothing here? Because they're historical documents that if somebody wants to go to put in a freedom of information or an archive search for, to go, hey, do I have an ASIO file? We have to keep that record. So, and I think it has that's to be kept- we. We. I always oh, talk yes. about we. Oh, I know. I always say we. You can't we. take it out of him. Can, can, I, can I say something? You can take the boy out of ASIO, but you can't take <laughs> you ASIO out, out of the boy. boy. I don't think ASIO was ever in you. Can, can I say <laughs> something which I – it sort of cuts against a lot of what I've been saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a, also a historian and I hang out with historians and they are finding the ASIO files more and more important mm-hmm. in what they really? do. Yes. Um, my friend Heather Goodall, the first thing she does when she's looking at Someone in the 30s or 40s, the first thing she does is look for their security I guess, files. I guess it kind of paints a picture of the the era because even the more mm. that you talk to me about this, mm. I'm even understanding, I mean, these are very different times. Mm. And we now live in an era where everything's kind of throwaway. I mean, you do have the you do have the digital, everything's yeah. digital, but and that kind of sticks around and God knows where that sits. But, you know, we don't have this kind of, we have a real lack of paper. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. there is no trail. There is yeah. no paper trail. Oh, anymore. but there is a paper trail, and it's the electronic paper trail. And yes, like, yeah. everyone said, "Oh there my god, is. email is going to make it impossible." Email is a time-stated, date-stamped, yep. everything. It is the metadata. I mean, the great thing that Brandis was doing about we want to gather your metadata. Your metadata tells so, so much, much about what you're doing. Yeah. So much. We don't need the content. Yeah, absolutely. we just need the envelope, yeah. and that essentially is what the the metadata is. And and whether it's digital or whether it's paper. The fact that um, these files are now available up, up to 
20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the, that was a Labor Party amendment that that, that they be open. The, the yeah. Libs have never been very comfortable with it. But, they don't like uh, sharing the Conservative people. <laughs> but the, the Communist Party has just celebrated their 100 years a couple of weekends ago, and they've brought out a wonderful book called Comrades, and it, there's 100 short histories of a, of 100 rank-and-file communists. Yeah. I, I did a cha- one chapter. And almost every one of the chapters, they say, and her ASIO file says this or this. Yeah. So they, they've gone back to the right. the files for the, you know, just a bit of interest, interesting information. So historically, they're massively important. Yes. Yeah. But once, they're, once an ASIO officer, and I did this job for six months, and it's a horrible job because it's literally just ripping paper mm. off files. Once you've got all the originals are done, they then get packaged up. They get sent out to archives in Mitchell in Canberra. They go into, there is a specific vault that they go into. They sit in there and that's like, you might be sharing that vault with Defence Intelligence and a few other different organisations, but yep, they just sit there and wait. There's only, there was only ever one file that I found, they, they just said, we will not release this for public interest purposes. And guess whose file it was? Whose? Michael Kirby's. And, yeah. and I'm sure it was because they were following him because they knew he was gay and they didn't want to reveal that that's why they were following him. Because of compromise or...? Because they didn't want to reveal their own homophobia. No. Uh, really? It wouldn't be compromised because he was openly gay. Okay. Well, no. Oh, he no, wasn't? No, not at this stage. Oh, no, not at that stage. No. Well, that could have been part of it. Could have been right. compromised. Yeah, but they knew he was gay. But there would he, have he been... He wasn't very... Um, you know, he, he, wasn't he wasn't theatrical. No, he wasn't <laughs> But he also wasn't very... He wasn't discreet. Yeah. But he wasn't open. And yeah, Because okay. you, you know how Mike, Michael came out? I think it's the most wonderfully Michael story. What? He came out in Who's Who in Australia. He came out in Who's Who. He just put in his partner... How freaking classy is that's that That's classy, isn't it? That's partner, class. Joanne Van Vogel. Oh, how am I going to let my family know that I'm gay? <laughs> who's who? Put That'll do it. Done. But, and, and this thing about not giving him his file for public interest, I've never come across anyone else um, who had that happen mm. to Can them. I say the fact that he was a uh, high, court, high court justice? Yes, but they gave, him his, they gave him his ASIO file but not his special branch file. Right. Okay, here's how it works. When special branch, a, a lot of the time you would when you were sitting at ACO, particularly when you're doing archive work, you would see special branch yep. folios. You'd see stuff from special branch. Uh, what might have happened were, I mean, gee, the only other way I can think about it is check the file to see if there's any special branch material on it. Because what it might have done was they would have amalgamated the files. So the special branch stuff was on there. Right. Unless, of course, there was stuff into the special branch file that they basically gone, if we release this, we are either, you know, we could be culpable for, or we can be so highly embarrassed. This could be an incredibly embarrassing experience. I think it would be embarrassing. Yeah. But the wonderful thing I want to say about Michael's file, and he writes about this in the book, is that he was first mentioned when he was nine because he was taken to the zoo by his step-grandfather, mm. who he was very fond of, mm. but who was in the Communist Party. So he gets mentioned at nine. But you might think that's probably a first. But the other person I want to mention is a guy called um, Jonathan Reed, who had a report on him at the age of four and a half. He was reported as being very active and organises meetings away from teachers' grasp. When he was four and a half. He was the radical of the playground. (laughs) He was in the sandpit and, come on, let's build a wall. I've worked out he's exactly my age and I want to meet him. That's hilarious. (laughs) That's, God, could you imagine? 
That child's a communist. (laughs) Well, look, I think we'll leave it there because we've really tapped into a lot about files, but I, I also think there's more we could discuss. Oh, there's so, there's much, so much here. So maybe um, down the track we'll get you back because We'd love it, it yeah, it was yeah. just, it's so fascinating and it's just a piece of Australian history that not many people are aware of. Mm. I, I and would it, imagine. And it is fascinating. I agree with you. Yes, yeah. it's very fascinating. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Michelle. Mary. Thank you, David. Well, it was so great having Meredith on. Always a pleasure to have a guest. We love a guest. I love a guest. And what a great way to wrap up season one. Season one of I Spied, True Confessions and Ex-ACO Spy, done. And dusted. And I do have to say, though, we're not leaving anyone high and dry. No, we, 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 can't, we can't leave you alone. We thought because it's Christmas, you're going to be gorging on a whole bunch of things. We'll, oh. give, we'll give you low-fat option of I Spy. Just snackable, yeah. little bites, little diet 10 minute Diet we call it. What, what are we calling it? <laughs> I diet. Um, no, uh, essentially 10-minute <laughs> episodes of stuff that we went, oh, we should talk about that, but yep. there really wasn't a whole episode in it. Yeah, so we've got Osama Bin Laden. We've got conspiracies. Conspiracy theories. Santa. Oh. There's a file on Santa. Okay, can't wait for that one. Oh, that's good. 